Hello and welcome back to Geek Warning. I'm Dave Rome and today I'm joined once again by Ronan McLaughlin. Ronan, welcome. Thank you and likewise to you. Oh, thank you. Uh, James is off again this week. Unfortunately, a, a family emergency has pulled him away. So wishing all is well there to James. But uh, we'll hear from him again next week and expect to hear a episode from James with Colnago uh, on our paid channel for Geek Warning. So for our members, they get access to more content than just this episode. And yeah, you'll find a new episode there shortly. Ronan, speaking of uh, members-only content, uh, what have people missed on uh, the performance process side of things? Well, actually, not really all that much if you're not a member because last week we were feeling <laughs> awfully generous and ah. we published the entire part one of our sort of three-hour-long deep dive with J.P. Ballard of Suicide. We published that in its entirety to the free feed. So... Both huh. members and non-members got to enjoy that. Um, and that's partially because, well, it, w- it was a very brand-heavy sort of discussion. didn't really feel sure. right. So we, we sort of put it out for that reason. Also, the 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 better of the two great halves of that podcast is the second one. Uh, and mm. half of that second one, so I don't know, is that a third or a quarter or what we're at at this stage, but part of that second one will be for members only. So... It was a nice gotcha. little, nice little introduction for any draw, non-members. Draw people in and then trap them. It kind of felt weird, like cutting off half of the first half and then cutting off half yeah. of the second half, and things just yeah. get confusing. So, yeah, sure. Okay, so performance process. If you're not already uh, subscribed to that podcast, uh, absolutely worth a listen, and especially these episodes with uh, JP Ballard are uh, very much crossover into the geek warning territory. So, and we promise you, the next one out. will be the last one with JP. There's been a lot of JP recently, and. Yeah, we're nearly at the end of it. Okay, all right. Uh, for my shameless self-promotion, uh, Threaded is back again this week. And yeah, uh, I'm wrapping up on all things cartridge bearings. So finally, I've covered how to remove them. I've covered how to measure them. And finally, we get to how to install them. And uh, yeah, I've, I've covered uh, lots about presses. So... Have you considered uh, an, have you considered one on how to do them right for maybe the other half of the the cycling industry? What do you mean? I mean like the set of wheels that I used recently one time and then came back to them a couple of weeks later and some of the bearings were pretty badly rusted and pretty seized already. Mm, I uh I can't help with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh there are some areas of the the conversation of installing bearings that uh are a little too uh, intricate and detailed to cover within uh, the three and a half thousand words that I did write. So, um, yeah, uh, let's just say uh, tolerances and additional sealing and all that is kind of uh, uh, to be continued. Hmm. Well, just just on that, I'm not I'm not being uh, I'm not being cryptic, and well, I am being cryptic intentionally because I've been assured that the issue had already been highlighted and has already been resolved so i'm just mm. waiting to confirm that okay uh i mean in in my experience when a when a company says we, we're aware of the issue and have resolved it um it's not as resolved as you'd you'd like it to be normally because uh the issue wouldn't have surfaced in the first place if they were fully aware of the extent of it but uh anyway fingers crossed that it is actually resolved mm-hmm. uh all right, so uh, this week we've got a pretty heavy news episode, and as a result, we'll try to keep things a little bit shorter. Um, but that said, there's some pretty big news out in the the bike industry from the last week. So, turns out the brands love releasing things on Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's it's been a, a busy few days for for tech editors out there. Uh, but in our case, we've just kind of ignored everything. So here we will cover them. Shall, shall we explain that? You're kind of a one-man band this week in that I had the week off. I didn't even know I was a one-man Am I? Yeah, well, I'm supposed to be off this week and that just hasn't been uh, happening okay. at all. And James is off also. Uh, yeah. And so you're like left there running the ship. Yeah, and, and amongst all the, the tech news that's been flooding out, I'm just focusing on how to bearings. install cartridge bearings. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very good all right 
Well, in the in the news, this one I'm really excited about. Uh, Richie Logic, uh, they have brought back the Road Logic uh, rim brake bikes, so or rim brake frame sets. So they've brought back the regular version, so steel frame set. Expect to pay about sixteen hundred US dollars for it. They've also brought back the rim brake Road Logic breakaway. So that's like their their travel friendly bike that that splits in the middle of the frame. Uh, I'm stoked for this. There's there's not enough rim brake options at the moment, and this is great news for anyone that may have a, a bike from five plus years ago that have been caught in a wreck or the frames finally given up and they're they're completely stuck without new options for rim brake frames. Um, this is exciting. Is this uh, is this already happened or when's it happening? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can buy them now. So yeah, they've they've basically just yeah hit hit the uh, reprint button on these frames. Um, I know that's not how steel frames are made, but uh, it's, yeah, they're, they're back in the range and they've updated the the Road Logic disc as well. But for me, it's the rim brake versions that are most exciting in, the, in a market where such a frame has become harder and harder to find. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this and I, I hope it's something that like local distributors around the world start to carry again because i genuinely believe there's demand for this frame in the market mm. well i mean the breakaway was one when it was discontinued a few years back i was disappointed because it, it was one that i had on my list for at some time potentially being yep. interested and invested in so good to hear it's back and it can go back onto my list yeah i mean i saw it i saw it come back and i'm like oh maybe it's i i owned a richie breakaway i had the outback carbon which is a, a test bike that i ended up buying uh the geometry just wasn't right for me on that model but uh otherwise uh yeah i really love that thing and uh for me whenever i traveled with it the the frustrations were more aligned to the disc brakes than anything so a rim brake travel bike makes a lot of sense as long as you just want a road bike for traveling. Um, you know, it's it's lighter. It's there's no disc brake rotors to bend in the process. It's you know simpler wheels. It's just yeah, I'm I'm sold on the idea and uh, yeah, I, I I want one even though I don't have much use for one. That makes two of us then. Yeah. Well, right. I, maybe slightly more use because I'm, I'm. It looks like I'm going to be traveling a lot in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, maybe it's worth looking into. And uh, that, that breakaway version comes in this pretty awesome looking silver, like super timeless color. Um, yeah, silver and white color frame. So uh, I am a little smitten with it, dare I say. But anyway, I need to move on. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Ronan, speaking of new bikes, uh, Factor have finally unveiled uh, the Ostro. I feel like we've been seeing this bike for for months now, and that it's it's old news, but it's now new and it's it's now official. What's it's what's no, the story? Yeah, that? it's no officially officially factors new Austro. It's just the Austro Vam. They haven't called it Austro Vam Two or anything. It's, it's just the Austro Vam, uh, and it okay. is the bike that we've been seeing for quite a while uh, since the Australian Nationals, where Simon Clark had it, and then it won men's Tour Down Under, uh, made an appearance in. Uh, women's Cadell's race. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's been used extensively at this point. And yep. yeah, it's it's. Official. I mean, we've we've ever we've ever as a publication have photographed it ourselves twice before. I was just kind of know, thinking about public that today. consumption was... before before it was even released. So I mean, it, yeah, it's it's an odd an odd way to release a bike. But anyway. mm. uh, well, as you might expect, the kind of you know most of the talk about this bike in the presentation that I attended last week. Um, was about a focus on improving aerodynamics without compromising like the handling and the comfort and keeping the weight down. Um, shortly after that presentation, one of these bikes turned up at my front door. So I've had the displeasure of having to build one and oh. the I'm getting to the pleasure of having to ride one, um, but not so much just yet. Um, but I mean, just on the last point that I made of what they focused on, the weight, that was one of the first things that I noticed and having, having built it up full bike, fully assembled without pedals uh, for an aero bike, 6.9 kilos, which I thought was- That's super impressive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the previous uh, Austro van was, was also impressively light. I mean, it was one of the first like, you know, very clearly aero focused bikes that was also incredibly lightweight and, and nice to ride as well. Like I, I did the original test on that bike and 
I was very impressed by that machine. Um, well, I've so been, yeah, what, what have they changed? I've been super lucky in that I had a chance to ride the Astrovam V1 in Adelaide yep. at, at Down Under, so that's a nice comparison to have heading into this review yeah, now. Good. Um, yeah. But but yeah, um, and I should also say that that's with 48, 58, so effectively like 50 and 60 mil deep rims also. So the, the weight, that, that's been the, the most sort of eye-catching thing for me so far. Um, mm. What they've changed, kind of a lot of what we speculated about in the article uh, about six weeks ago now, um, yeah. and a lot of talk of uh, how important the front end of the bike is and how airflow over the, the forks and the head tube can actually influence much of the aerodynamics of the of the rest of the bike. Uh, talk of precisely managing airflow over the entire length of the bike, a lot of CFD talk um one thing they actually presented in that presentation was a heat map of the cfd analysis they'd done on the entire frame and it was you know it was kind of as you might expect at the front end a lot of cfd work a lot of simulations went into the forks the head tube uh, all that how they interact and all how that interacts with further down the bike but they i'm off the top of my head now there was like there was a lot more cfd or uh, there was less but still a lot of cfd work done on like the seat tube and mm-hmm. things like the bottom bracket area and things like the seat stays and the chain stays there was effectively no cfd work done on on yeah. those uh it's yeah. more or less the exact same down tube um except there was like a scallop out of the this the the trailing edge of the the down tube that it kind of don't know if that did much on the v1 but that's that's been removed but effectively it's the same profile of, of down tube uh so the the main the main changes here are to the head tube to the forks which are both much deeper um and also much slimmer the forks are pretty wide stance they're not like way out there but they're pretty wide uh and pretty thin and deep uh so is it claimed to be faster uh it is said to be faster um i believe i'm correct in saying the the claim was 48k an hour and it was six and a half to seven watts uh, for bike. Okay, only. so so really not nothing. Like you know the the new say like specialized when you're talking about the new S works was like almost, you know, uh, the Tarmac SL8 versus the SL7 was almost a wash in in the wind tunnel. You know, it was a, it was like a four watt claim and or five watt claim, and most of that came from a handlebar. Um, so I mean, this mm-hmm. is well, I mean, the know. opposite is true here in that it is actually a carryover handlebar. It's the same handlebar. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Which has uh, presents its own issues, as you've found out while building it. Uh, yes, we'll get to that in a second because I've got I've I've managed to claw out some extra additional sort of interesting numbers. Um, one of the things about the the head tube is that it's got that offset steer that we talked about. It's also yep. really really tapered, like it's thin. Uh, you know, through through the center of it uh, was one thing that I had noticed also about about the bike. And together, those two interventions. Um, the what's effectively like a 20 millimeter nose cone on the front of the in, in the front of the head tube and the, the thinning of it also re- results in a claimed 0.018 reduction in cda from the head tube alone which is a, a 0.018 is that that that's it might sound like a tiny number but it's actually a significant saving to find are you are you saying that pinarello had the the elongated head tube right all along uh, I, I mean, I would say that I was working on my dad's Panarello F8 today, and there's a lot of similarities in what they've done there. There's yeah. a bit of a nose cone, nose cone going yeah. on. There's a bit of a, yeah. a narrowing and, going and through. And did similar at a similar time, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a more secure seat post now, by the looks of it. They're, they've moved to, again, a bit of a Pinarello-esque seat uh, post clamp I mean, with the, the two bolts at the back. Yeah, a lot of brands have sort of, well, I say a lot, uh, I'm struggling to think who else right now off the top of my head, but I know others have adopted this seat post clamp mm. also. Uh, it's effectively yeah. two grub screws on the on the trailing edge of the seat tube. Um, yeah. And in the presentation we were in, I had heard mention of like a, a, a cover that would go on to sort of stop ingress and corrosion and, and, and all that nastiness happening on the what I assumed had meant the grub screws because that was that's a common problem with the F8s that I've seen yeah. and, and Panarellas that I've yeah. seen that all the crap yeah, coming they off get the seized. rear wheels. Yeah. Um, it arrived, the cover is, goes on the seat post uh, oh, and okay. seals ingress from, you, you, you know, you're not going to get ingress into the, sure. into the frame. 
but the, yeah. the screws are still just as exposed. Um, I mean, I've on my own Panarello previously, I just a bit of black tape fixed that issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'd sort of picked up the wrong end of the stick. I thought they'd find a way to cover those those screws. Yeah, which certainly grease those bolts based on prior experience. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, the idea there is that uh, most aero bikes, most road carbon bikes on the market these days have a a wedge-based seat clamp that that sort of sits in the front of the seat post and clamps on and the surface area of it is is quite small and sort of can can point load the seat post in a in a small area uh and yeah i guess the the idea of using these two grub screws is you you end up having a much larger surface area clamping onto the seat post uh and and yeah basically it's it's just clamping from the opposite direction so it's pushing the seat post forward rather than pushing mm-hmm. it back from a wedge base but I, I quite like the design like Pinarello's you know Pinarello used this design for quite a few years I think they've now moved away from it from memory uh, I think are they using a single bolt now wedge uh, you're having me doubting myself now I thought it was oh, still okay. the same on the Dogma F that oh. I had oh there you go okay so yeah but Could either way like Pinarello used it for many generations and very rarely were seat post slipping issues present in those bikes. I'd you kind of had the opposite issue with those Panarellos in that even yes. the on seas, no issues, whatever, it was sort of hard to get the seat post in and out. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, I would rather have a seat post that which is a little harder to remove yeah, than one that slips which, while you ride. Which isn't the case with the Austro Vam that I have here now. The seat post sure. slides up and down very, very easily. But nice. I also, I haven't, and I've had a few bumps so far, I haven't had any post slippage or whatever yep. so far. And it's like a minimal, it's like I'm putting three Newton meters into this. Uh, they've said like three and a half or four, but I, I started at three to see how I got on. No issues so far. Yeah, cool. All right. Anyway, um, um, what the were you going to say things, about the handlebar? Well, two things that haven't changed. Geometry, yep. except yep. in a select few sizes where they have increased the seat tube angle by half a degree, including the size Good. that I have. Good. Um, good yes welcome that I would have liked to have seen an increase in top tube length also to give a, mm. the same effect of reach that hasn't happened there sure. there is a bit of trickery going on with these handlebars which I the factor haven't told me this themselves but looking reading between the lines it seems like these handlebars were very much developed for this bike even though they appeared like two or three years ago um, mm-hmm. because there's just a lot of things about them that makes m- more sense now than like a, there's a rubber cover and all underneath. I'm not going into it all, but it seems like these bars have been developed with this bike in mind. The other thing they've added is a fourth fork offset, which is, again, oh. very much bucks the trend. Um, wow. And, and so you've got the same trail figure across the entire size range. Um, yeah, okay. Which, again, I thought was something quite welcome and not seen all that often, so... Uh, yeah, I thought it was worth mentioning here. You have everything size-wise. You have got two, four, six, seven sizes: a forty-five right up to a sixty-one, um, yeah. and, and four forks. I mean, the 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 talk on it is that the geometry is unchanged, but the the geometry has changed. There's a there's a half a degree sure. uh, head tube ang- or seat tube angle increase in some okay. sizes. Okay. Um, yeah, you you're asking me a couple of times about the handlebars and I haven't answered you. Yeah, yeah. Let's get to that. Uh, so I've I've built. A, in recent memory, I built an Ostroy Gravel and had a hell of a time with the exit port for the cable, uh, for the hoses through the handlebar. Uh, like from memory, it was about two years ago now, but oh no, it wasn't even that long. But uh, uh, from memory, none of my magnetic guiding cable guiding tools could fit through the bend. Uh, the bend was too tight to get the, the barb through, and which also meant that using picks and stuff were, was just equally as painful because you didn't have much of a hole to look through. So um, from memory, I, I probably lost a, at least an hour of my life in that mm-hmm. process. Uh, did you lose an hour of your life, Ronan? Uh, I lost, I, lost I, th- I think it was about two and a half, three hours of my life that I've lost. Oh, no. So oh, I'm, no. I'm, I'm glad to hear I was not alone. I'm glad to hear that I haven't like somehow lost the ability to... F- route a cable through or a hose through a frame yeah and handlebars um but yeah it's the the opening there is just um i mean what it's you've got what, what you've got is an aero profile top to the handlebar yeah with an an exit port for the hose to exit through to attach to the lever and especially with the barb attached to the hose because this bike was delivered this bike had been assembled 
and then disassembled to be shipped to me with the handlebars not attached. I'll get to why um, I think that is in a second. Um, so what it meant was that the hoses, uh, well, the, the the levers had um, hydraulic oil in them uh, or mineral oil in them, um, which at some point the little stopper popped off when I was footering trying to get the, the hose out. And so we ended up with oil everywhere also just to add into the, the mix. Thankfully, no contamination. Um, I have various different tools and methods of ways of feeding hoses through handlebars and none of them proved successful. In the end of what I actually did was I got an old um, gear cable from, you remember those mechanical days where we used to have like cable actuated gears? Oh, yeah. Got one of those. Yeah. And then you use it as a saw <laughs> to cut <laughs> through the cable. Sorry, yes, we forgot the part before that I used a file to make the oh. opening larger because there was oh. just no other way to get it out, oh. in my opinion. Um, oh my, and, okay. and And then not being brave enough to file any further, I yeah. then fed a brake cable or a gear cable through the handlebars, fed that inside the hydraulic hose because it just yeah, about that's fits. a good method. And yeah. then with brute force and a bit of pokery with the cable, I was able to to get it out. When I say I fight it, I mean like it was a very minor fighting. There was there, there, I, I double checked first of all; it wouldn't be an issue, um, and it wasn't. Um, and yeah, eventually got there, uh, reconnected the hoses. Of course, I had to bleed the system again anyway, which kind of begs the question was like, why was this sent to me built and then unbuilt? Mm. Either send it to me not built or send it to me built, but don't send it to me built and then disassembled. Yeah. Uh, anyway, right. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm bending about at this point. Yeah, um, I think I think we should move on from this bike, but I think uh, the main takeaway and lessons at this point is that it sounds like a very good bike, but factor, please uh, radius the the exit hole of your handlebar a little bit more, I think is probably well, the, the I, main request at the moment. I, I don't think we have time this week for a what's on your mind, but I, I just, going through this whole process, I kind of wondered, is performance like this, our costs like this going to become more frequent and that, you know, you might have the performance every day from using a an aero profiled handlebar like this, but yeah. the, the once in a blue moon, you have to change the hose it's going to be a nightmare because, you know, everything's getting smaller, everything's getting thinner, everything's getting, you know, I'm not even talking about factory anymore, I'm just talking about, you know, aero bike, every aero bike design. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm sure you and James would be saying to me right now, this is what we've been saying, Ronan. I get yeah. that. But yeah. um, I think we're now at a new level where, you know, we had aero integration before, it was a pain, there was waivers around it. For further and further gains, I think things are just going to get more and more yeah, headache-ish. And- and I, I think it, for me, it's like, I think most people buying this bike aren't necessarily going to be doing this work by them, themselves, right? It's going to be a mechanic uh, this is, involved. Yes, 100%. And I, and I think, uh, for me, it reinforces that mechanics need to move away from having set fees for bike building because there is no bike, you know, no one bike is like another as far as building. And that, you know, one one model of bike might actually take two hours and you know, another model of bike might take two hours just to get the hose through the handlebar. So uh, I think, yeah, m- moving to more flexible rates, I think makes sense for a lot of mechanics with the complexity of these bikes. So anyway, probably uh, a topic for future, but Ronan, that, that Ostro also has new wheels, which again, we've seen. It's, uh, I know nothing about these wheels. I haven't read about them, but I, I know they are a carbon spoked wheel. What what are they? Uh, again, it's, it's, it's kind of impressive stuff like the 4858 wheel set uh the the numbers are denote the depth of the rims uh and why i say it's impressive is because for such a deep wheel set the claimed weight is 1270 grams now i haven't Whoa. removed the rotors and the cassette and the tires and the tube because they come with tube type tires um to weigh that myself but that the claimed weight is pretty impressive the other thing that's interesting is that Black Ink or Factor in this case have gone with a high flange hub um, and they've said that the high flange increases the bracing angle of the spokes and that then should improve the ride feel and lateral stiffness um, Mm. which makes for a quite unique and interesting looking hub design. Uh, I mean yeah I I guess 
we'll cover these wheels in more detail in future as you as you get time to ride them. But uh, for now, I mean, my only question is, is does the rim have hooks? The rim and has. I think, the, I think the answer is yes. If the tire is the tube type, uh, yes. Uh, has okay. What if I remember from the presentation correctly? What was described as mini hooks. So it's uh, somewhere between hookless and cute hooked. little, just cute little hooks. Yeah, but you you've you, yeah delivered with tube type tires, and you can run tube type. You can run, I guess, in that case, you can run tube type, tubeless ready, tubeless mm. or hookless tires, whatever you're. Yeah, okay. And they're optimized for a twenty eight mil tire, we should say. Okay. All right. What's the rim width? Do you know? Rim width. It's a twenty three mil internal. Um, okay. You've caught me on the hop here. I don't remember the external off the top of my head. A lot of a lot of uh, wheel makers seem to be going on that twenty three at the moment with hooks, or going twenty five without hooks. It's yeah, a clear um, trend at the moment. Anyway, it's Campagnolo did similar. So, mm-hmm. uh, oh well, me and my love for twenty one mil internal width rims seems to be uh, losing that battle. So that's all right. I, I'll I'll just add to that and say I'll still much rather take a twenty three mil internal width rim with hooks versus a 25 mil internal width rim without hooks hmm for road i i'm all i'm going to say is that i'm deep 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 down the hookless rabbit hole at the moment oh and i'm and i'm no further forward um i'm further forward but are you feeling deflated by it yes and no okay (laughs) i feel i feel both more confident and less confident in riding the hookless wheels that I've been delivered of late. Specialized have just announced uh, new, more affordable helmets and road shoes. So they've got the Prepero 4. It's a an aero road helmet for 200 US dollars. Uh, and well, let's talk about that one. You are saying it, it reminds you a lot of two S-Works helmets. Yeah, the front of it looks to me like the Evade, uh, which I think is quite intentional, obviously, and the rear of it looks very much like the... Or not the rear, but like the, the side and rear looks very much like the the Prevail. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, and I'd, Yeah, it was just sort of an off-the-cuff comment. I just think it's a very nice-looking helmet. I think it's very yeah. premium-looking for not being their most premium helmet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's quite a bit less than a, an S-Works helmet. And yeah, it seems to do most of what, uh, of what those S-Works helmets achieve. Like it, it's got MIPS, it's got lightweight, uh, you know, lightweight adjustable straps. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. From, I haven't used it, but uh, I think, I suspect James has, but uh, it does look like a, a really nice product. So yeah, keen to hear more about this of uh, how people enjoy it as uh as they buy them but uh yeah then there's also i guess a similar story in the torch 3 and torch 2 shoes so basically a, a more price point orientated options from uh, the swex torch shoes that have proven very popular as a slightly more comfort focused ratio so uh yeah again these look really good that torch 3 especially i suspect specialized is going to sell an absolute uh ton of them so uh yeah a nice carbon ratio with uh you know boa dials and uh a proven fit so yeah i think specialized uh historically has done pretty well out of its uh shoes and helmets uh, as part of that side of the business and and these i'm sure are going to be a strong seller for them speaking of shoes Ronan. oh speaking of shoes speaking of shoes uh we we chatted or, or you you covered how many feet do i have uh i don't know well we can get to that though um you okay. probably don't have enough feet for the number of shoes you have right now. But uh, yeah, this is something we, we teased in a, in a previous gallery. Was it the Tour Down Under tech gallery, Ronan? That it was, we just yes. saw these? It was like a stage one yeah. gallery. We'd spotted these new gotcha. shoes from Trek. New shoes from Trek. So what's going on? What are, what are they? And Three what, what new people need to know? Trek branded shoes uh, and a new wow. shoe range from Trek. Uh, we've got the RSL. So that's six shoes, is it? Units. That's, well... I mean, if you want to count all the sizes and all that, um, it'll be even more. But oh. um, I've got six new Trek shoes. Yes. Three, three rights and three lefts. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Just glad we cleared that up. Um, Good. <laughs> actually, sorry, I tell a lie. I've got five new sets of Trek branded shoes here. Is that um, 10 shoes? That is 10 shoes. And that is That's a five lot rights shoes. and five lefts. Uh, and we'll clear oh, up my. why that is in a second. Um, 
anyway, I thought I was going to be very quick on this part, but uh, we've already spent as much time as uh, we had sort of allocated to this entire section. So <laughs> let me briefly <laughs> run through what it is. Uh, it's new RSL Nut shoes from Trek, RSL Road, and Velocious. Am I pronouncing that right? Velocious? Veloci? Velocious? Velocious? Sure. Shoes from, from Trek. Um, and all the shoes feature what Trek is calling Met net uh relief zones uh and these met, are met met net met net yes met um, net okay and these are well they're promising sort of improved comfort without sacrificing performance uh which mm. you would sort of expect because these are performance road shoes um basically the met net section sort of i'm holding up dave so you can see it nobody else can see yep. it but yeah uh, i'm not going to describe it so it's only me well it looks very different across all three shoes so there's probably not even sense in describing it from what i'm showing yeah. you here now but, but it's I, at the ball of the foot right it's on the and ball it's, it's, well it's, it's a relief metatarsals the of the foot. isn't that what it is the metatarsals that area yep. isn't it um sure. on both sides uh inside and outside and basically allows the shoe to stretch and compress around the forefoot uh, to sort of relieve uh, like things like numbness and tingling and, and, and feet that riders often get. Cycling-related foot discomfort, I think, is how Trek had described it. Um, yeah. The ones I'm holding up for you here now, they are the Knit RSL, and as the name suggests, they're sort of, well, they're polyester yarn knit material on the upper, which is lighter and more breathable. It's kind of like a sock-like sort of fit, um, yeah. a bit like those S-Works ones a few years ago first did. Um, sort of building on that features the MetNet relief zones in the most obvious way and that you've got these sort of hoops at the front um, that basically just open up a whole section around the metatarsals um, with the board eyes attached to these MetNet hoops as I'm going to describe them as and two BOA LA2 dials and yep. the sole features a 100% OCLV carbon sole uh in this case in the pair that i'm holding up a gold sole which i don't think is going to stay gold for too long once i go walking about in the great outdoors yeah. um yeah 499 dollars for this pair sizes from 36 to 48 half sizes from 38 and a half to 45 and a half um two things that stand out to me the sole looks incredibly thin on these and I know James has already ridden in a pair of these and had mentioned that the sole is very thin, thin so thin that he thought there might be some issue with like cleat bolts extending too far into the sole and yeah. being able Wouldn't to be feel the first that. to have that. Yeah. Um, and I haven't had a chance to ride in these because the other thing that steps out, stands out to me is that they fit pretty big. Um, so I mm. ordered a size 45 like I do with every other pair of shoes I have here. They were just far too big for me, and I had to wait for a replacement pair, which just came a matter of hours before recording this podcast. And the half size smaller that I went, I'm wishing that had been a full size smaller. Um, with gotcha. with the nuts, that's different for the RSL roads, which I'll get on to next. They the 45 and those was also too big, but the replacement 44 and a half feels much closer to what I would like. Um, they're a sort of same idea as the nuts, but featuring a more sort of classic synthetic tpu upper perforated for breathability rather than being like a sock um the met net zones are less obvious on the metatarsals yep. but they're still there external heel cup with an anti-slip lining two bows again again the same 100 percent oclv sole um and these are 50 dollars cheaper at 499 449 dollars right. a pair and then what's the third shoe the third shoe is a more more I guess more affordable is that maybe a way to pronounce it uh, or explain sure. it? These are two hundred forty nine dollars a pair. Uh, they're mm. the Velocis, and they also feature the Met Nets. Again, not so obvious in these. Yeah, that's um, that's a lot more supple. Uh, subtle. Yes, uh, um, po- probably less supple actually. Um, less supple than certainly than the, the nuts, that's for sure, but probably more supple than most cycling shoes you would pick up, I would say, from uh, feeling okay. it here. Uh, a much more classic looking cycling shoe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Looks like a, a shoe. Again, perforated for breathability. Uh, much more classic looking shoe, more traditional yeah. looking. Uh, PU synthetic perforated upper, an OCLV carbon composite plate is how Trax describing the sole. So I take that to mean that part of the sole is OCLV carbon. Um, and again, 
two boas. You're getting 36 mm. to 48 in the sizes, the same half sizes. And I got to say, to be honest, the Veloces putting them on out of the box, no cleats on them or anything yet. They fit my foot the best so far. Um, okay. The nuts are very interesting, but they're very hard to get on. You need it. You like I can get them all without a shoehorn, but you probably yeah, yeah. should be using a shoehorn. These yep. these these Veloces um, just feel very nice putting them on. They just yeah. You you would you want to time spend time in them kind of. Well, you don't want to spend time in cycling shoes off the bike, but you know what I mean. They're you're not. Uh, you try them on, they feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it, the, those knits remind me a lot of the SWX Aries. Uh, yes. Kind of pitched as like their almost like sprinter's shoe, uh, which again has like a, a knitted sock-like construction that kind of was, yeah, hard to put on because you, it was like putting on a sock. So um, anyway, uh, well, that was that was quite the trek. Don't, if you... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just couldn't resist. Uh, I really couldn't. Bef- before we move on, uh, just on that point, the those SWX Aries were very much a sprinter's shoe. I there's no specific talk of these being designed for any particular type of rider or anything. If anything, I'd be saying it's more like a climbing shoe than a yeah, shoe. Yeah, like a, a, a summer shoe as yeah, well. Yeah, but really there's yeah. the Trek haven't differentiated in any way what who these are for sure. or what they're for. Yeah, but yeah, the, the difference in sizing is interesting. Uh, and it's actually something I experienced quite a few years ago with Bontrager shoes with the, the RSLs or the xxxxxxxx shoes that i had back then uh where yeah again they i I wore a 43 in pretty much everything and a 43 in that i was just absolutely swimming in and it was basically like it was if they they, in that shoe they'd removed all the padding out of the heel cup but they it was as if they hadn't uh factored that in into their sizing Mm. well uh and yeah. I, I, yeah, it's it's interesting that you've picked up on size differences across three new shoes from them. Not not just me. James yeah. had the same issue, had to get replacements. Um, gotcha. And and James has, I've, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm pretty certain in saying in our conversation about this, he has used Bontrager shoes previously, yeah. uh, had ordered the same size, and again had to size down with these new ones. And I was talking to a track dealer today who I think was saying they would probably size down also. And what we're sort of saying was, well, I mean, it's only an issue if you don't know that, if, like customers coming into the shop, if they can try them on and get the right size, yeah. no problem. But for, I, I guess the reason I'm bringing it up here is for listeners, if you're considering these shoes, you're probably going to want to size down. And even when I used the track size guide online, it had suggested the 45 for me, but the 45s were just huge. Yeah. So it sounds like Trek's got some work to do with the, the size guide and in the meantime try before you buy all right well i think that's the the big news of the week we've got some more news to discuss but in the meantime let's uh let's take a short break and hear from this week's sponsor which of course is us again because we don't have advertisers on this podcast uh this week i want to promote the podcast from our co-founder wade wallace uh he's got a podcast series called overnight success where he interviews uh typically interviews uh one-on-one with uh brand founders about how they built their brand and and how they got there and how business is but he's now done a four-part series on how the bike industry got into the mess it's in. Uh, and it's quite a good listen. So I'll, I'll leave it there. We'll drop in a quick little teaser and we'll come back. Everyone, whether you were a bike shop owner or a sandwich shop, your first reaction was, holy smokes, I'm going to have to close my business. In the weeks leading up to COVID closures, we actually had a dumpster catch fire inside of our primary warehouse. So we started COVID off with a literal dumpster fire. It wasn't that long before all of a sudden we started seeing more demand again and people started to realize that, hey, I can riding a bike is something I can, still can do. There was a time where I was speaking to our SRAM rep and he told me we have $2 billion of open orders. And I'm like, you can't possibly believe those are real orders. Either every existing bicycle owner has to buy another one in the next five years, or the entire third world has to walk into the playing field and start buying high-end bicycles. There's just no way. Like, it, it just breaks, it breaks simple math. In the history of what sport in the universe has the sport retained someone who tries the sport for the first time at 80%? no sport ever all these retailers that had been talking about how confident they are about next year rapidly losing confidence 
We just received a, a container of this group out that we've had on back order for months. When we called our customers, none of the business was there because the other distributor had gotten their container a couple days earlier. All of these bikes that were waiting on something, now that something has now finally started to arrive. You need to take these, you ordered them, here they are. Trying to do it in a, a conservative way so that you don't get caught holding the bag eventually. The more understanding as an industry that we have of where we stand, the more we're going to be able to do a better job to work through this together. All right, Ronan, we're back. We're back. Do you have anything on your mind? Um, I would just love to know the inside story on why so many brands decided February 14th and 15th as the embargo date for their for their new products because we haven't even mentioned them all yet but there's clearly there's clearly a lot of lonely people out there that just just wanted something to talk about on on valentine's i hadn't even thought that might be the case that's 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 yeah. not very nice dave oh i'm sorry <laughs> sorry let me rephrase that there's clearly a lot of people that love their job a whole lot more than their partner and love what they're doing uh yeah. Anyway, it, it has been very busy, and dare I say, like I'm I'm busy right now working on a few embargoed things that are with the timeline coming up very quickly within the next week or so. Uh, there's it's a busy time of of new product releases. So, you want my uh, advice? Yeah. What is it? Take a week off. Let all your problems fade away, and then don't really take it off. Just then work when you're kids go to bed at night instead yeah okay so you use up your leave while still working. still working yeah yeah, yeah that's that makes smart sense. smart yeah. okay what's on your mind dave i know you've got something oh it's it's tools of course uh hex screwdrivers lately um so yeah it's a hex key but in with a screwdriver handle and a and a straight blade and it's it's a style of tool that i've long had on the on the tool wall as something I regularly use, so it's long been my go-to for like uh, derailleur limit screws and uh, bitten cage bolts and basically anything that has a you know you need a straight path of access to. And yeah, for for many years I've I've sort of thought that PB Swiss drivers were the benchmark, and uh, I still think their handles are the best. But uh, I a few months ago got. Uh, sucked in into the world of RC car, remote control cars uh, tooling. So I'm not into remote control cars, but uh, the tools have a, a reputation for being incredibly precise. Um, they're, they're typically uh, machine ground ends. So, so very, very precise. And uh, I bought one set and then, of course, posted on Instagram, which typically leads to people uh, private messaging me being like hey you should try this brand instead uh, and now I am I have four sets of RC hex drivers plus the PB Swiss and the other brands I had prior to that uh, and yeah I think I've come out of the rabbit hole I think I've I've found the best uh, but yeah it's I guess the main takeaway is that it's it's impressive how snugly some of these fit. So the RC tools, because they're they're very small, um, often lightweight bolts in these in these cars, and they're they're generally quite shallow bolts. Uh, these tools don't have a chamfered chamfered edge to them, so it's just like this square edge that that uses you know the full contact of the bolt. Um, it makes it a little bit slower to insert the tool into the bolt because that chamfer doesn't help guide. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's pretty impressive how securely these lock in, and uh, the best of the best have proven to be uh, an American company called MIP. Uh, and uh, let's just say uh, they make PB Swiss look cheap. Wow, I don't even yeah. want to ask. Yeah. So uh, yeah, in incredible fitment. Uh, put a micrometer on it, like I do, like everyone does, I'm sure, with their hex keys. And <laughs> yes, uh, everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're incredibly precise. Like you you measure across the hex flats, and it's 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 dead on, and it's like right up to the limit of what the um, of what the sizing standard would allow. So it's incredibly tight fit. If a bolt is undersized, you you might not be able to get this this key in there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a proper like. You know, slip fit, and uh, I'm I'm loving it, and that's what's on my mind. And wow. what what uh, is that sizing spec? Is it like 
a five mil hex, what it should what should it actually measure? It should be like right below five mil. Um, so yeah, it, it if anything over that five millimeter mark is is basically an oversized hex key, uh, and it will fit in still a lot of bolts because a lot of bolts are poorly sized and, and oversized bolt heads. But uh, but yeah, if a bolt is perfectly to spec, then uh, say a hex key that measures exactly five mil uh, might not fit into that perfectly sized bolt. So or it'll be a, a tough fit. So yeah, so these are like you know, the three millimeter. So that's kind of the problem with the hex, with the RC tools is they only go up to three mil- millimeters uh, in size. So you're kind of left out as, as far as, you know, four and five millimeter options. But um, yeah, these these MIPs are measuring like 2.98, 2.99 for a three mil hex key. Um, like real precise. Uh, and uh, I did, of course, buy the copy from AliExpress to compare um which are very good very cheap and actually not terrible like they're they're actually a very nice tool for you know fifteen dollars for a set of hex keys um that said the micrometer doesn't lie and measuring a single tool across its hex flats is shows quite a bit of variance in in that one tool so you know they're not they're not a, a perfect hexagon um and as a result they just don't fit as well and uh, yeah, the durability just won't be there. So you do get what you pay for, but uh, it's still not a not a bad purchase. Those those cheap, uh, yeah, RC driver hex screwdrivers on AliExpress, but not something I will choose to use given I've spent a boatload on the better stuff. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, surprise, surprise, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no gallering dust then? No, no. So... Uh, Let's let's get back to some uh, quick news before we wrap up this episode. Uh, there's there's a few more things worth chatting about. So, but we'll try fire through these. Ronan, there's a new 4i Precision Three Plus Pro Pal meter. There is, um, and yeah, it's a new dual sided left right balance um, oh. power meter from 4i, uh, built into the, sh- the new Shimano crank arms, Altegra and Jurius. Uh, mm. Interestingly. And not exactly new, but it's new for their dual-sided offering, I guess. They've integrated Apple Find My technology into the power meter. Um, That's cool. Yeah, that is. I thought it was a neat solution. Um, neat solution, but not exactly easy to implement without like causing all their issues like battery sure. drain. And obviously yeah. Apple being so huge, they've got like very, very strict uh, protocol around how you can use their their Apple Find My technology. Uh, so building that in wasn't exactly easy, but 4i have found a way. And they've also found a way to pair that up with a clean battery life of 550 hours, uh, which Whoa. I mean is, okay. yeah, that that's pretty pretty out there in terms of battery life. Um, yeah. And not to go too deep down the rabbit hole, but the difficulty there is having the Apple find my beacon reading and transmitting and whatever um, while not draining from the battery. Um, yeah, and they had to develop a new ultra low power drain mode that the power meter can enter. Uh, it also comes with plus or minus one percent accuracy, as you might expect. Uh, cycling metrics uh, like pedal smoothness and torque effectiveness and those things, if that's what you're into. Left right balance, which I already mentioned, and automatic terrain selector, which detects the terrain you're riding on for more responsive cadence power feedback data. Ride the roads less traveled with confidence as I'm sounds, reading straight from the sheet here. <laughs> sounds very smart. Uh, am I reading right that it's it's currently exclusive to S-Works bikes? No, it's not exclusive. Uh, like you can buy uh, for a, you can, you can buy it for a Precision 3 Plus Pro parameter on its uh, own. Okay. But it will be delivered with S-Works SL8 and Athos models come gotcha. July time or something, I think. Okay. Uh, and right. I think that OEM partnership might be exclusive. Okay. All right. That makes sense. All right. Uh, sounds like a good good product. Uh, very quickly, Dave. Pricing is very simple on these because it's the same number for US dollars, euro, and uh, pounds. Oh, yeah. And our 8100 geosided power meter will cost you 9499 so 950 of your chosen currency. And With our with the crank, yes. Um, yep. The R9200, so the Jurius model will cost you 1225 of your currency. 
And if you send it for a factory install, the dual sided will cost you $529 euro or sterling. Regardless of whether you fit it to a R8000 or a yeah, it's just a factory install. Seems yeah. to be the same same price for regardless of the the type of crank you're sending. Nice. Okay. Seems like a really good product. Uh, do you have one? I do. Yes. Oh, just okay. just landed. So um, it's going to go on to that Astro we mentioned earlier. Um, okay. Get a get a get a run on it, and I've hopefully another parameter pedal coming in, which will make a nice comparison. Mm, okay we'll talk about that one in a future episode but it, so. uh the new srm spd shamanically compatible XPAR, one. yeah yeah okay worth talking about in future all right we'll mm-hmm. come back to that other news kmc best known for their chains are now offering uh cassettes so they've got the react cassette and uh it's for hd freehub body so that's like your standard old old style shimano freehub body uh they've got uh, an 11 speed one with an 11 to 50 tooth tooth count and a 10 speed cassette with an 11 to 42 42 two tooth count yeah i mean that's basically applicable to mountain bike and gravel bikes uh but what's interesting here is it sounds very similar like they're basically claiming that they've they've got shift ramp mapping uh that helps pick up the chain up the cassette and helps drop the chain down the cassette. It sounds very, very similar to like Shimano's Hyperglide Plus technology that 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 claims to do the same thing. So yeah, I'm kind of curious on this. Like a, a cassette made by a, a, a very large chain manufacturer is is intriguing and I'm, I'd be keen to try this just to see how it shifts and how it lasts. So uh, it could be a, a nice aftermarket option moving forward. And yeah, definitely keen to see how it compares to, uh, you know, comparable stuff from shimano and shiram i mean kmc chains are quite commonly used also i've used them like it yeah if there's quite a lot of if you buy pre-wax chains they'll quite often be kmc especially with new 12 speed stuff mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i mean massive chain manufacturer so mm-hmm. uh anyway i thought that was kind of kind of interesting uh, interesting expansion of of the range from kmc uh Forge and Bond Wheels, they're the house brand of CSS comp- uh, composites doing the, the fusion fiber rims. So they make those uh, thermoplastic carbon rims for the likes of Chris King, Revel, uh, and a few others. Uh, so yeah, their own, own brand of Forge and Bond. They've, they've expanded the range. They've now got a new shift wheel range, which uh, is currently limited to mountain bike wheels, but it's, it's all about hitting a new price point. So uh, yeah, they've managed to drop the price to US $1,250, which is approximately a $650 saving from the the original core range. Uh, but yeah, basically they've, they've managed to reduce that price predominantly in the hubs by the looks of it, or, or even solely in the hubs. So they're now using their own uh, rebranded versions of Bitex hubs, which is you know a popular OE style hub uh, used by the likes of um, Hunt and a few other brands. So... Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty big cost cost saving, and that's a pretty good price for a, a wheel set that's uh, yeah using that sort of tech. Um, the downside, I guess, is yeah you've got a a hub that potentially is less durable than the say DT Swiss two forty or Industry nines that they they option for their their better wheel sets, and uh, you also see weights increase by you know one hundred or two hundred grams depending on uh, what wheel you're comparing it to, but. Uh, I think that's quite a cool development in that space because those those thermoplastic rims have um yeah it's just a tech that I would like to see more of and uh in theory you know it's it's a a lower uh yeah a more affordable product in terms of you know less labor intensive products to create and and in theory the product could be recycled into smaller Tudor carbon fiber components so currently they're they're only recycling rims into carbon fiber tire levers but who knows maybe you know a stem or or similar forge component could exist in the future i i also want to try them just for the isn't there some sort of claim i'm trying to pull this out of somewhere in the back of my brain from eurobike last year a discussion i had around these rooms in terms mm-hmm. of potentially noticeably improved like traction and stuff that you get from this yeah yeah, yeah. They, they they claim uh better vibration damping so mm. um yeah, that's that's something that James has he's reviewed some of these wheels before, and he says it actually is something you can feel while while subtle. So, uh, yeah, he's you know James is a fan of these wheels, and um, but yeah, I think it's it is just a, a cool tech that's uh, yeah is being used by an increasing number of brands at the moment. Um, 
that are, are partnering with this US manufacturer. So one to watch as those prices come down. In other news, uh, Giant Bicycles has partnered with uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. So they're actually the largest sporting <laughs> goods retailer company in the USA uh, with 800 plus stores nationwide. Uh, Ronan, are you laughing at my comment in, this, in the show notes? <laughs> yeah, I just seen it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm laughing, yes. Okay. Yep, that's right. Okay. Giant dicks. Uh, so uh, I don't think Ronan expected me to say that. <laughs> I'm glad you did. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty big one. Like, uh, you know, we've seen Trek partner with uh, REI in the past where they had their Bontrager components being sold in REI stores, which is a massive uh, outdoor retailer um, business. And yeah, this is this is kind of in that scale where uh, this this company will be selling giant bicycles and giant bikes, uh, giant bicycles goods, like their, their accessories and all across a large number of their stores, potentially all of them, uh, eventually. And yeah, I, it's huge news. And, and I guess what's been standing out is that, uh, giants come under fire in, in recent years because they, you know, they opened up kind of like a, a semi dealer, direct, uh, direct consumer model. Uh, but it went through retailers and they, they went on, got under fire through that. And then they, they made a big deal about being, in it for the retailer and being supportive of the retailer and promise made some promises to the retailers that they wouldn't uh yeah undercut them and all that and and i know yeah a few retailers are upset over this news because it's it's yet again uh you know for all the the independent bike dealers around around the u.s that have you know built their built their stores around giant bikes this this does pose a threat to them so um yeah big news for giant but potentially uh bad news for giant retailers that may have a, a Dick Sporting Goods nearby to them. Mm. So, like, I'm not aware of Dick Sporting Goods. Is the Dick Sporting Goods customer likely to be visiting a local bike shop? Well, that's the thing, right? So like it's, you know, it's up to the local bike shop to, to show that they're the ones that can offer the professional insight and service, whereas the Dick Sporting Goods customer probably, you know, they're, they're the same person that would be going into other general stores to, to buy, you know, a bike for the family. I, I really can't imagine that. We're not going to see TRs, advanced SLs, and who knows? I mean, maybe like you know, with with a lot of these deals, I I don't know. I don't have insight into that. But a lot of these deals are, are typically geographical based, right? So in in areas where uh, large cycling markets, then the stores are more staffed towards those cycling markets and and have expertise there. And then in areas where there isn't cycling, they they typically you know, have the bikes gathering dust and someone who shouldn't be working on bikes is working on bikes. So, uh, yeah, I think it really depends. And uh, I don't know what the scale is of this. And I'm sure Giant have put a lot of effort into making sure that their product is is sold correctly and serviced correctly. So, uh, time will tell. Hmm. Um, do you think it might be anything to do with, you know, we heard recently Giant didn't do so well last year. Looking, you know, is it, related to that or is it just is it unrelated do you think i i don't know i mean my my speculation is that if you look at trek and the number of shops that they've acquired and vertically integrated with across the u.s i think that poses a big threat to brands like giant and uh aligning yourself with a company that has 800 plus stores in the nation is is a pretty quick way to ensure your distribution for the country so uh, sounds like the kind of thing quite a powerful do, play regardless if you've had a good or a bad year the year before yeah mm. yeah so i think honestly uh, i i think prior experience suggests that long term this might not be the best the best outcome for giant and i think long term it's proven that you know aligning with uh independent bike dealers that really believe in a product and sell through that product and support that product long term uh, are probably going to be better than a, a general good sporting shop that that just wants to sale and doesn't necessarily care how well the product works beyond that. Hmm. Uh, but that might be very unfair and perhaps Dick Sporting Goods has decided that cycling is a forever increasingly important market for them to, to be a player in and that they're investing correctly in it. Uh, I'm just going to insert shrug emoji here. 
All right, that's a wrap on this week's episode. I know, very, very news heavy. Uh, once James is back, we'll get back to the the regular segments of uh, pick one and, and similar. So, certainly, please come back. If you hated the news, we'll change, we promise. I feel bad uh, because it's usually me, like, not wanting to do news. and Yeah, and, and then you do all the news. Yeah, I mean, we, our hand was forced on this one, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Valentine's product rush. The Great Valentine's embargo of 2024. They'll they'll think they'll they'll think back on this year and years to come. The product love fest. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. This has been Geek Warning. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to Escape Collective. Your subscription, your membership, makes everything we do at Escape Collective possible. Uh, it's we exist for the members, and we uh, can only exist through our members so Ronan give me uh, one reason that people should become a member because we don't ask you to rate our podcasts uh, we don't ask you to go over to iTunes and give us a five star rating I think oh, that's we might. the primary reason why anybody would join escapecollective.com oh okay but we do ask for that we, I'm not letting any podcast I'm on from now on I'm not allowing that request to go out uh, that's gonna, just a I'm given if you're you listening that. to this podcast know that it is expected of you to go and do that no no um, please and, please still go review us but mm, yeah escape uh, collective membership actual uh real reasons for why you might want to sign up well because yeah, please. uh that while this was a news heavy episode uh i think the manner in which we covered the news this week and the uh sort of detail that we can provide to that in the podcast form rather than a first look which i personally don't believe serves anybody all that well style review which we might have done previously um yeah this this model allows us to bring this news to you in this way uh and gives us more time to give you much more rewarding and much more informative deeper dive reviews uh in future all right well there you go you keep putting me on the spot that's an important important question for our very being is give me one reason and yeah, you're not even giving me any yeah. news. I mean obviously there's many reasons but I figured <laughs> I'd just put you on the spot to give me one reason so alright good next week we'll get a different reason uh, thank you all have a good week <laughs>